0: Hey there everyone, I'm Abby. And I'm Alyssa, and we are the co-founders of
1: Downwith. We are so excited to be here today with you all. We are gonna dive right in and tell you a little bit about our company, Downwith, and what we're all about.
0: Yes, collaborating with Sarah and Step Back and Receive is going to be awesome. So we created Downwith because, well, quite frankly, we were pissed off. We kept encountering brands that claimed inclusivity, access and diversity, but in reality, they were exclusive and entitled communities.
1: So therefore, as a solution, Downwood commits to creating a space that hosts not only equality and inclusivity, but also empowering the community by breaking the barriers of not having enough access to achieve the goals we desire.
0: As co-founders, we are all on the same page and both are completely self-made with a passion to create equal access for all.
1: But Alyssa specifically is a self-made, self-funded woman of color and a project manager by day and a strategic go-getter of the community
0: and Abby is a talented hairstylist by day and an effective engager of the community together we want to rewrite the rules alongside our united front down with key pillars are inclusion equity access information and connection
1: yes we are working to create an open space where access is open to all who seek it the rules are waiting to be rewritten and together as a community, we will work together to pave the way.
0: So let's break the barriers in class and status for a more equitable and accessible world.
1: We are so excited to be on this journey with our team of Reformers.
0: Check us out and join in on this journey by following us at down underscore down__with on Instagram, as well as our website down-with.com for our upcoming events and collaborations. hey
2: hey
3: how's it going good how are you good
2: hi guys i just wanted to say this is sarah your podcast host for done with and today i have a very special guest my badass friend cash money kashmala fuzzle with cash hey everybody So the reason why I invited Cash today is because she is, first of all, she's a very cool person, but she is also a lawyer um, that practices immigration law. So I thought with the election coming up, I really wanted to learn more about um, what immigration looks like today and the future of immigration and just you know, talk to my good friend Cash and just get more educated on the topic of immigration, because I'm an immigrant, I'm a daughter of immigrants, and there are basically everybody in America is an immigrant. So thank you, Cash, for joining me. And um, I just wanted to start off by just, you know, asking you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, you know, like, what you do, what your hobbies are, and tell them about your badass self.
3: All right, well, my name is Cash Fazal. Uh, I'm an immigration attorney based out of Arizona, so I'm near the U.S.-Mexico border. Majority of my clientele are Mexican or of a Hispanic or Latin country because they do use Mexico as a vessel to migrate to the United States since, it, since the border is so vast. Uh, I mainly do deportation defense, which basically means I am dealing with people who are already facing removal from the country. And that could be for a variety of reasons, whether it's a criminal conviction that made them deportable, a simple traffic ticket, down to just being here and living and working and trying to make a better life for them and their family. So people can be placed in removal for any reason, any reason at all, because they are all considered practice it in any state. I can also Ooh, sorry. practice. I think
2: it. I, I lost you there for a second.
3: Oh, all right. Where did I cut off?
2: <laughs> I think you cut off a little bit about um, removal. You were finishing your thought on, uh, you were practicing because they were placed in this removal removal
3: um, area so basically uh, my clients there's an array of reasons why they could be placed in deportation proceedings so deportation proceedings give them a right to see a judge and fight their case in front of a judge some people choose not to do so and just take a deportation order and go back to their country Um, But most people decide to stay because they have significant family ties here in the United States. They have U.S. citizen children or a U.S. citizen wife. Mm -hmm. Um, So I mainly deal with, I guess, the front line of immigration, literally next to the border. So as I stated before, most of my clients are Mexican and they come from Mexico. Um, Mm -hmm. Additionally, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about immigration law there's a lot of, it, it is constantly changing. Um, so we always have to, as, a, as an immigration attorney, I always have to keep up to date with any with, with the areas of law, new cases that are binding in the courts, what's going on in the appellate courts, because that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, most times, um, it only matters when it, when the final decision is rendered by the highest court. However, appellate courts are extremely important in our, in our field. Um, Mm-hmm. So yeah, what else do you want to know? I'm down with. Yeah, <laughs> thank you,
2: Cash. And for those of you listeners that don't know, I actually met Cash like ten years ago at freshman year orientation. And besides for besides the fact that she is like gorgeous and you know very outspoken and intelligent, uh, we connected because we ultimately realized that we were from the same country and belonged to the same. Uh, community. And I remember, Cash, one of the first things that you said in orientation was, you know, you were going to be a criminal lawyer. And I just find it so fascinating that a lot of people they go through college and, you know, like me, who changed their major like three or four times and you just kind of stuck it out. It's almost like you knew what you wanted to do and that was your calling. And now you're just you know, pursuing that and you're helping a lot of people, which is, which is pretty badass. So I just thought that was like really cool that, you know, you, you just knew from the beginning that you wanted to be a lawyer and now you're practicing it and now you're, you know, making such an impact. So one of my first questions I actually had was that a lot of your clients are, do you think they. Um, have they been in the country for a very long time? Like, did were they brought by their parents when they were younger? Or um, are these people that have actually immigrated to the United States in the last two, three
3: years? Let's speak about my most typical client. Medical would be the most typical client of mine is mainly... Uh, has been in the country for longer than 10 years. So I'm talking maybe 20 to 30 years. Typical client has more than one U.S. citizen child has been paying taxes, working. um, Mm -hmm. And usually they're working under another person's social security number but they're contributing economically through another person's social security number. So everybody has a different subjective view on that. Um, technically Mm -hmm. it's illegal. However, it's still a contribution if you look at it from number a number point of view. Um, Mm -hmm. so that is my most typical client, no criminal history, a few traffic tickets has a driver's license, um, probably owns, um, probably owns the, or owns a house and owns a few vehicles and for the most part just lays low profile so that is the most typical client and they've migrated here 20 25 years ago and they haven't left since so that's a that's a significant yeah. portion of someone's life to be living in a different country working here and basically being under the radar which is extremely difficult in um, a state like arizona for example and texas where we have a prevalence of border patrol and ice agents because of the mexico border being so nearby
2: yeah and i can only empathize you know obviously i can't say it in here but i definitely have known people um very close people to me who have lived a very you know um low lived very low key just because of this reason and they have been contributing to society. They've definitely been working and paying taxes. And when I just look at them, I, I I feel so sad because, you know, like me, I was born in Pakistan and I came here at the age of eight and you know, my parents were in their 30s and they've also worked their way up. Um but we are legal. You know, so I just I just look at these uh, people who are illegal and who are contributing to society, and I empathize because all they want is a chance. They really just want a chance to live the American dream and to build their life, and they want to be left alone. So my next question is, why do you think, like from your own perspective, those that were born and raised here have such an issue with? those that do come over here and you know are living illegally is it because of the uh the social security issue or are they basically using somebody else's identity
3: or do you think it goes uh further to race i think it's i think the root cause of all of this is ignorance there's a lack Mm -hmm. of information regarding people's immigration status and the process of immigration on both ends most people who are native to united states don't ever really research immigration and what people have to do to get to where they've already been born in um so it's a it's a lot of ignorance that i see um especially on the illegal undocumented side um i would say that most of them are poor and they don't have any resources to learn how to properly immigrate to the United States. So they choose the only way that they know, which is hiring a coyote smuggler and coming over the border Mm -hmm. um, in the middle of the night through the desert, through the water, with a a gallon of water and the clothes that they're wearing. Um, So a lot of that starts at home, at their home base, which for example, I'll just use Mexico. We'll use that as an example since it's mm-hmm. really, you know, probably in my conversation. So in Mexico, right. there's no facility or place that they can go that will give them informational um, informational data on how to migrate legally. And so they don't know the law. They don't understand um, that they may have some type of relief when they apply for it. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I have some clients that have been eligible for for their green card for over 20 years and they don't even know about it and they've been, they've been living wow. here under the radar and they could have applied for a green card 20 years ago and they just didn't know. So a lot of that is like fear and a lot of it is mm-hmm. ignorance, I think. So for a native, To have the perspective on an illegal saying like, oh, well, these people are criminals. You know, I'm sure you've heard Trump say that, you know, um, Mexicans Mm -hmm. drained available job opportunities for for all the Americans here or all aliens are criminals. Well, statistics show that illegal, undocumented people actually commit less crime than Native Native Americans, yeah. um, not Native Native Americans, but Native-born um, United States. Right.
2: I think it goes back to that we're also very cultural, um, you know, just me being Pakistani, I, if I compare my culture, culture to someone um, from Mexico, I think we have a lot of the similar values, you know, and I think at the end of the day, those people just want to build a life and they want an opportunity to build their life and have a better life to provide for their kids and their family. And um, I definitely don't see anything illegal in that. So basic human
3: rights. Wh- I mean, these people are right. just asking for their basic human rights, food, shelter, water, right. and, you know, familial support. And that should never be, that should never be a struggle. That should never be a fight for someone to go yeah. and ask for basic human rights.
2: And it's so sad that there's so much fear around it. And obviously now, you know, with the Trump administration, And just him wanting to put up this wall in Mexico. Um, What do you think that's gonna look like? You know, if he gets reelected again, do you think he's going to have the opportunity to finish this wall? And um, what, really, what is his reasoning for, you know, instilling this? Is it because that he just doesn't want people to? come here illegally? And will he be able to provide some kind of resources for those who do want to migrate to America that they can go to, like you said, and find out like what's a legal way to uh,
3: come to this country? So the Trump administration has made a lot of attempts and i call them attempts because there's a common misconception that the president can do whatever he wants when he wants and people tend to forget that Mm -hmm. any change for federal law which is immigration congress congress's approval is required and they have not passed a major law since 1986. i mean we have a two-party system here so Everybody needs to know that although the president does have some executive executive powers, he can only do limited things with them. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of the attempts revolved around DACA recipients and birthright citizenship. So let's I'll, I'll I'll walk you through let's say three major things that we have going on under the Trump administration and and give you a little yeah. analyses on each. So basically, the the yes. first one is um, Trump's administration made some. Made some attempts on birthright citizenship, which is granted to us through the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. And you, Sarah, being, um, being born in Pakistan, you wouldn't have what's called a birthright citizenship. You would have what's called an acquired, naturalized citizenship. So under the 14th mm-hmm. Amendment, all persons born on U.S. soil... Are considered U.S. citizens, and the the courts have interpreted it as regardless of who the parents were and what the legal status of the parents were at the time, that person who is born on U.S. soil is going to be a U.S. citizen. And Trump wanted to revoke birth rights, the birthright citizenship of what we call anchor babies, um, babies of immigrants that they that that are birthed here. Um, should not have this birthright citizenship because their parents are technically illegal. Now, that would con- completely contradict what's, what's given to us, was bestowed upon us under the 14th Amendment. Even if you read it by word by word, it's very clear that if you're born on this land, you are a U.S. citizen. So that would contradict a constitutional amendment. And that would never, in my mm-hmm. opinion, in my legal opinion, I don't think it would ever even make it to the Supreme Court. Um, but Trump did have an attempt to revoke that. So there's a, there's a huge migration of people coming here um, from different countries, having babies here, what's called anchor babies, and then that's their tie to the, to the country. That's basically their pass into the country. Now what happens is that child, though, the common misconception is that child can't do anything for his illegal parents until he's 21 under federal law. So even, even if a mother of Mexican mothers um, intent was to come to the United States just to have a baby so she can acquire citizenship through him, she won't, she wouldn't be able to do that for 21 years after birth. So, so I think, wow. yeah, so I think that that, that, people don't know, you know, so people who have that conception about that perspective, like, oh, people are just coming here and having babies. And then that's how they get, you know, citizenship. It doesn't work like that. Um, the next thing is we'll talk about, um, Kate's law in 2015. Um, uh, a woman was killed by in by an uh, un- undocumented individual who had um in a, who had a vast criminal history, um, and Trump pushed to impose harsher sentences on illegal aliens with criminal histories because of that, and it was called the Kate's law. Kate's law. And law, it was enacted in 2015, <clears throat> pushed through so. That speaks a million words to me, because as I stated earlier in the podcast that in our conversation that most the typical client is that doesn't have a criminal history, um, has been living here, working under the radar, has a few traffic tickets or so, and that's it. So that was uh, mm-hmm. extremely interesting to me that based on one incident, they exploited that incident to make it seem like all aliens are, are criminals and they should all. be given the death penalty and that to me is like we're wasting federal resources on on holding and fining these people um when we can when we can just simply just either deport them or you know so that was that was an issue for me um and the wall okay so the wall um (laughs) the wall is it signifies it symbolizes a bunch of different things in the immigration world um it's not only a physical barrier to keep people from literally walking across the border but it's also this big fuck you like the berlin wall um back in germany (laughs) during auschwitz time during hitler times (laughs) um And already 300 miles of it has already been built on the southern border. And Trump has Trump has always said that he will make Mexico pay for it. But the truth is, we've been paying for it so far. And to get reimbursed and indemnification from that um, is a little uncertain at this point. And I think a lot of that had to do with campaigning strategies. Now, the wall in itself, um, it also symbolizes this contradictory environment that we have in the United States, like you said before, every person in the United States is an immigrant. So for us to implement a wall, banning our own people, you know, building this country, who built this country would be complete, complete bigotry. Um, so as far as, as far as the, the meaning behind the wall, I would say that, it's already been built at least 300 miles. And if he's reelected, I'm, I'm sure he's going to finish what he started. Um, but do I think that that's going to have an effect yeah. on migration? I don't think so. I mean, we've, we're from, you know, you're from Pakistan. Your parents found a way all the way from Pakistan to come to this country. And who knows whether how they migrated was legal or not. Times were different, different back in the 80s. Immigration and migration was way easier um, back in the day. And your your parents traveled overseas, not only land, you know, as opposed to Mexico or Mexicans, um, but people will always find a way. I've always said that one, what one man builds, another man can find the flaw in it because nothing a man does is perfect. That's why people break out of prison. And you would think a prison is the most secure right. place, but there's a guy that will break out of that prison because everything that man builds has a flaw. So, I'm telling you as just in a philosophical point of view that people are still going to find their way into this country, whether it's through through the wall or around it, over it, they'll find a way.
2: Yeah, I was about to ask you how, you know, like how tall do you think this wall is? And if there's going to be like guards with like snipers, you know, just sitting out watching. And we're going to be paying for that Um, as taxpayers. so it's yeah, only gonna, it's only going to. I, money, say, I right? yeah, I just yeah, exactly. Waste of money, waste of time. I just find it, you know, even waste of brain space. Like we have bigger issues in this country, and we're paying. People are dying, and we're paying for exactly. a wall. <clears> so <laughs> how ridiculous is that? Priorities. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think this is a very strong year for all of us to realize what is our priority, right, for the next four years. Um, So how do you think um, immigration is going to change, you know, if Joe Biden were elected?
3: So if Biden gets elected, um, right now, his stance on immigration is is way liberal. um, Obviously, he's a Democrat. Um, But There's two policies that Trump was successful, really successful in that really had a significant impact on immigration. And one is the asylum, the uh, limits on asylum seekers and the public charge rule that was implemented. So we'll talk about asylum. So there is a process called seeking asylum. It's similar to refugee status where you're able to turn yourself in at the border and seek seek asylum in the country and say that you fear returning back to your home country because you you fear persecution based on your race national origin um political party affiliation um but you have to prove a specific amount of fear to even win an asylum case only 10 percent of asylum seekers actually win asylum in the country um and what trump did was He limited that. He limited people being able to seek asylum. So what he would do is people would come to the border and fear that, you know, state that they fear their life. They're going to be killed um, and they can't go back to their town because they're going to be killed. And he just sent them back to their demise. So at least we see a 50 percent reduction in asylum seekers right now. And the next thing is public charge. So I think with Biden being in the office, the public charge requirements will be will be um, lessened and the scrutiny will be lower because right now we have, for example, if a person has a valid uh, green card, which is he's a legal permanent resident, um, he will be able to naturalize. But if he wants to sponsor his wife. Um, who was undocumented, she will have to meet this really, really high burden that would show that she would not use government resources ever in her life. So she has to prove that she's financially stable enough to never apply for food stamps or, or Medicaid in the future. So with Biden being in office, I think that that. Um, that will increase reliance on governmental funds because he will eliminate this public charge rule, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's important to an extent. But the burden right now is way too high. I think that it should be lowered a little bit, so so a, m- a little more reasonable. Because when you're dealing with the undocumented population, um, they're not the top one percent as far as you know, as far as earning money. Right. So to impose that, su- that heightened burden on them would really cause our economy to fluctuate and not for the better. Um, so I do see that, but I want to talk about DACA real quick. So DACA, yeah. DACA is yeah. really important. Um, and actually I didn't even know that DACA is, a lot of people don't know this, but DACA is not an actual legal status. So what it is, it's just deferred prosecution. And in lay terms, that means, Hey, you were brought into this country when you were a baby involuntarily and we're just not going to bother you. So you can just continue living your life. But once we feel like bothering you and prosecuting you, we will. So you're still technically illegal, but we're just not going to touch your case right now. That's literally what DACA is. So Obama implemented DACA back in 2012, um, where, um, where it was good as far as suspending everybody's pro, you know, everybody's immigration cases. So we had all these dreamers that were brought here when they were like babies and they were able to renew, get work permits, get a social security number. And that was it. Having a social security number does not render you a legal, a uh, documented person. You're still illegal. So DACA has actual no path is no pathway to citizenship. Um, so Trump, what I saw, the, di- the difference with Trump, everybody was uh, thinking that Trump was going to get rid of DACA, which he was, but he was actually going to revisit it and reform it. And what I see Biden doing for it is creating some type of pathway to become a U.S. citizen. So currently, if you have DACA, mm-hmm. you cannot get a green card from it. You cannot become a U.S. citizen from it. If you, unless you marry a US citizen, then you can do a process called adjustment of status if you meet the criteria. But other than that, with DACA alone, you'll never be legal. So I think what Biden wants to do is create a pathway to citizenship, and the Democratic Party stands right behind that. And I think, I think with that, that is that should be the exception to any any federal law DACA recipients should have a pathway to citizenship because they're they're just they're born here without physically being born here yeah Um, they speak English I mean most of my DACA clients don't even speak another language they they went to high school here elementary school here they work here all their friends are here so it would be so it's it's so wrong to deport people who who don't even know what Mexico is or what their home country even looks or feels like so I see mm-hmm. Biden bringing that in, right? Mm-hmm.
2: They're just kind of, and that's awesome. I mean, they're just probably like standing in the middle, you know, like have this fear inside of them, like, "Hey, I'm pretty much, you know, I've been here my entire life, and you're gonna send me back to my home country. Exactly. I've never even visited." Exactly.
3: You and know? Believe it or not, that's more common than than people know. It happens every day, and. <clears throat> And right now, the, um, right now under Trump's administration, there's no new applications for DACA, but people are still, people, uh, DACA mm-hmm. recipients, say we have a who was brought here when he was six months old, and he never applied for DACA during Obama's administration, he wouldn't be able to do it right now based on the last Supreme Court ruling. So, um.
2: Ah, so like a question with that, like so, those DACA recipients are those the children that you were talking about, where the illegal parents um come no. here and have their babies. No, so that US would be, that, that would be
3: a citizen by birth. So any is a citizen daca recipients were born were born in mexico oh, right. and they were brought or in a different country and they were brought here as a baby so i mean when you're one years old you don't have a say in where you're going to go mm-hmm. or live right so why should you be punished for that and that's you know that's right. the that's the true question here is why should why should i be punished for having my mom when my mom and dad brought me here when i was six months old i didn't i didn't even know what was going on it was not my choice to come to this country but here i am now you know here i am now contributing to society and going to college. I mean, I had a DACA recipient mm-hmm. who was in business school and he, and he won, he won like the state scholarship at his business school and he has no legal status. He, he wow. can't do anything with his DACA and that right there, you know, th- you know, there's, there's people like that who are, who are ambitious. Um, and I, and I see that a lot in my dreamers. They're very ambitious, young, hardworking young individuals. So, <clears throat>
2: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can. It's just so sad to me, you know, just listening to you talk about this. I, I applaud you for having to deal with this, you know, on a daily basis and just kind of keeping your cool together, because I would be so furious at the end of the day, just ripping up papers, trying to figure out a way to really drive change. Um, so I have a question about people with work visas. Now, I don't know too much about it, but I do have a couple of friends, you know, who um, are here on a work visa from like India or London, um, and they're all in the banking field. So they're, you know, right. working pretty high up. And one of the things that they just told me is that, you know, if Trump is reelected, they could possibly be deported too. And I just find that really funny because it's like, I don't, I, I, I would think their work would kind of impose, right. impose on that and just kind of um, help them stay here because they're contributing to the business. But they they were pretty clear on the fact that there's nothing that their work can actually do if that is the law. So have you heard anything about that? Yeah. Or do you see so actually, this happen too? So that's
3: another common misconception. I think that's like my favorite word right now um if you're there's different categories for work (laughs) visas so if you're in the banking field it would be probably an h2b story that they come in here with i I believe and if i'm not if i'm wrong you you can't be deported unless you fall out of status so technically, right now, they have a work visa, they're in legal status, they have just like a student visa, they're in legal status for a certain duration of time. So they'll, let's say, for example, they'll have a work visa for six months, and then they have to renew it on the fifth month, you know, to continue working. So they won't be deported unless they, unless they go against the requirements of the work visa. So I believe one of them is you can't have a felony or commit a felony while you're here on a work visa. And if they do that, then they are subject to deportation. Um and if they fall out of status, for example, if they fail to renew their work visa in a timely manner, that could also render them um deportable. So I see that, but with Trump, what he's gonna do is put a cap on the amount of visas that people so work visas are limited because they're a different category. Um so uh work visas available. Okay. Where did I cut you, off?
2: You cut off again. You said work visas uh, are a limited okay. category. So work visas are
3: off. are a limited category even right now. And if Trump gets reelected, um, what he what he'll mm-hmm. probably put a cap a lower cap on that availability. So for example, if there's forty thousand work visas hypothetically available to people from India, let's say, um, to make it relevant then he mm-hmm. would probably lessen that to 30,000 work visas. Um, that's what I do see his pol- his policies leaning towards. Um, how that's going to go into effectuation, it depends, because like I said, um, it has to go through the Congress to approve those hard caps. Um, but work visas <clears throat> are, are mm-hmm. generally not... Um, They're not a legal status. They just give you a specific purpose to come here legally to do. And as long as you meet all the criteria, you should be fine. I don't see that changing much under Trump's administration, to be honest, and neither with Biden's administration if he comes into the office.
2: Okay. I'm so glad you clarified that because like you said, there are just so many misconceptions here and I'm bringing them all to light (laughs) (laughs) because if I think this way, then I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there that also have the same misconceptions and questions, but you know, I'm so happy cash that like we got to get together and just, you know, talk a little bit about immigration, I think it's so important. And I think, um, just with everything going on this year, I realized that, you know, I was not never paying close enough attention to my country, and the issues that were happening in my country, and I realized that this is something that I needed to do now, because it could potentially affect the next four years, you know, of our lives and our future generations. So what Last thought: um, If there are, there are many other people out there with common misconceptions, what do you recommend they you know follow up on or research? Like, how can people educate themselves more so they're just aware that you know maybe this immig- the immigration issues are not directly affecting me because I'm a U.S. citizen, but it is affecting right. a close family right. member or a friend, you know, or the person next door. So, what can we? do to bring more awareness um and help those that really do deserve and want so what i would recommend in this country
3: community that is confused about immigration law or has family or friends that are going through immigration things i i say use your free resources there's a lot of legal clinics um in chicago and in other states as well that offer free legal advice there's hotlines you can call um that protect your identity Um, and I can send you that information if you want to, if you want to post it as a supplementary thing with the podcast, um, but basically watching the news and we, you know, as, as the United States, you know, we're considered a two-party system, but it's far, far more complex than that. So what, what I always recommend is never assume what you see on, on, on the news as fact, look, do your own research, look up the laws, make Mm -hmm. sure Make sure you know what you're talking about before you say it out into the world. And that even applies, I apply it to myself as well. As lawyers, we tend to ramble mm-hmm. on and then, you know, not have, sometimes not, not know what we're talking about because we just <laughs> want to make a point. But um, <clears throat> for for your friends and family members that are going through even criminal, uh, criminal proceedings or immigration proceedings, um, make sure that they get the help that they need. I mean, there's free legal services everywhere. Um, all you have to do is Google it. And I think by that, by that, you can learn so much. Um, And also USCIS.gov, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, has great, great guidelines on almost any area of the immigration field. Um, For example, if you have a situation where your aunt is trying to petition for her daughter, your cousin, um, there's rules and policies all on there. And they're pretty they're pretty user friendly. Um, and anything that you don't understand, always reach out to an attorney. Uh, Um, so that was, yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: that's great. Thank you. And I, I think, you know, you made a fair point. I feel like there's just so much cloud in the media. Like you just hear a new thing every day. And then the next day you hear something else and you just never know what to believe and, I think everything is out there. You know, all the information is out there. The, there are policies, there are laws for a, a reason, but people just don't take the time to right. read and educate themselves. Um, and I think that's <laughs> honestly, I, I wasn't even doing that, right? But now just with everything going on, there's just so much happened this year that you just don't even exactly. know <laughs> where to start. You know, you think about all the things that have happened and you're like, you get tired because you're like, oh my gosh, one after the other and the media just doesn't stop and that's their job, you know? So you really do have to get out there and make an effort um, to read up on the policies and the laws that are already put in place and have been there for a while that other people just don't, you know, take note of. And I think that's, that's just great. Um again I wanna if you I do have one last question. If you were not an immigration lawyer,
3: well I would kind probably do you think you would be? Retire. <laughs> I I love immigration and I actually <laughs> accidentally stepped into this field. Um I was initially motivated to be to work on the criminal defense side and I I ended up moving to Arizona and seeing the dire need for it and kind of played with it. And I fell in love with it. And now this is the only field and I do believe in quality over quantity. So I always tell my clients that, that I don't practice anything else but immigration. So this is like my specialty. Like a doctor, you know, doctor doesn't, Mm -hmm. there there are general doctors, but there are doctors that specialize in things. And I feel like it's the same, same thing with, um, attorneys. Um, so I can make this my baby and I can focus on this and be really, really good at it as opposed to, you know, jumbling everything else around, but I would, yeah, I would probably retire. So that's how I feel. That's how I feel about it. Yep. Um, You and me both girl.
2: (laughs) Now are you only taking um immigration clients in Arizona or I actually can it be um, anybody? As around a federal the country? attorney
3: I can I can take clients in any state or fifty states. Um I can also take clients internationally, um, as long as I have off counsel. But yeah, fifty states I'm all around. I have clients in <clears throat> Massachusetts, Illinois, Texas, Arizona, uh, Washington State. So I'm pretty much all over the board.
2: Wow, look at you, Cash, like, it must have been like destiny or something like in your cards, how you moved to Arizona, and it just kind of fell in your lap. And you are, you became such an expert at this, you know, it's truly amazing to see you grow and pursue your dreams. And I mean, I've known you for 10 years. So I know what an incredible person you are, overall, you know, even outside of your career. And I'm truly, truly proud of you. And I just want to thank you again, one more time, you know, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to get on here and just share a little bit about what you do and what we can do as American citizens to drive anytime. Thank you for having me. So Thank you again. It's a
3: pleasure to have you in my life. I mean, you're one of my best friends, but Apart from that, I believe in you and I'm so proud of you as well. So thanks for having me. Bye. Thank
2: you, (laughs) love best. (laughs) Thanks everybody. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Take care. Hi everyone. This is your podcast host, Sarah. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Downwith podcast. If you like what we talked about today, give us a shout or make sure to subscribe for future episodes. If you like more information on Down With and upcoming events, make sure to follow and connect with us on Instagram at down underscore underscore with or check us out on our website at downwith.com. The down With team really appreciates your love and support. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great day. Thank you. Bye.